What is a blessing to have Pastor Roland Hammett and his wife Allison and Margaret and Isaac and Esther and Titus and Caleb and Philip? It's good to have them with us. We appreciated preaching yesterday. We were instructed. We were encouraged. We were challenged. And uh, appreciate that. Uh, his ministering to us yesterday. Looking forward to what he's going to have for us tonight. So, whether you come and you pray for him as he preaches, and open your heart. If you keep saying their names long enough, he'll get them for sure. <laughs> Let's turn in our Bibles tonight. We're going to start in the book of Psalm, Psalm 22, this evening. And I want to spend a little bit of time. We're going to I'm going to preach a little bit differently than I normally do this evening, and we're going to look at a lot of different verses. And uh, typically, I like to stay in one passage primarily, but this evening, we want to go to a number of different passages. And with the Lord's help this evening, I want to speak to you a little bit about the subject of God's passion for the nations. And the reason that we want to look at a lot of Scripture is because I want to establish from the Word of God, this truth that God is passionate about the nations. Psalm 22 is where we're going to start, and we want to look at verse number 27 and 28, and that's where we'll begin. The Bible says this, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He is the governor among the nations. It's an interesting thought. The kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. And I don't think I need to go into a great deal of detail to help you to understand that this is primarily a prophecy about the millennial period, the the time when Christ will rule over this world. And yet it also gives us a a little bit of a, a peek into the heart of God. You know, here's something that has captivated me for the last year or two is this idea that God is a passionate God. Do you know that the Bible describes God as having emotions, as being expressive of his emotions? I think sometimes we have the idea that emotions and logic or thinking just don't go together, and so emotions are bad. And if you're thinking you don't have emotions, that's actually not true. Emotions are part of how God has made us. Now, we, we don't want emotions to be in the driver's seat. But it is amazing how God also is described as showing emotion or showing passion. One of the things that we find in the scripture that gets God excited is the thought of the nations worshiping him. And so we want to dwell on this thought a little bit tonight about God's passion for the nations, because I believe personally that in many of our churches, our view of missions is entirely too narrow. We tend to look at missions in a way that is informed by something that uh, these people with that make up words they call it ethnocentrism. And what that means is that we tend to look at the world through our own lens. We tend to interpret the world through the way that we think and the way that we live our life, and we forget that there are a lot of other people in the world who are very different from us. We tend to, for instance, just figure that because we do it this way, that's the way it ought to be done. Um, Many of our missionaries live in, the missionaries from our church live in countries where, let me think about this. All of our missionaries live in countries where they drive on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road. And we like to say they drive on the wrong side of the road. But we forget that actually in probably at least half the world, they drive on an opposite side from what we do. And when they think of us driving on the right side, they think those people in the United States, they drive on the wrong side of the road. You see, we we tend to forget, and that's a silly example, but we tend to forget that there are people in the world who look at life differently than we do. Sometimes we're even skeptical that God could or would work in a culture that is different than our own. 
Let me go a little step further and say that the goal of missions is not necessarily to make those people just like us. It's not to come and impose our culture upon them. Now, wherever their culture disagrees with the Word of God, they need to correct that, just like we need to correct our culture and the way that we live our life wherever it disagrees with the Word of God. But we understand this. There are, there are aspects of differences of culture that really are, are not biblical. They're not things that interfere with, with principles of Scripture. And so we have to be careful you know, when missionaries go to the field, that they're not just trying to get people to be Americans, because that's not the goal. That's actually showing a very narrow picture or vision for what God is up to. Now, the, the word that is used here in verses 27 and 28, nations, is, uh, of course, translated from a Hebrew word, which is used many, many times. You do a, a concordance search when you get a chance, and you will see that the word nation or nations is used hundreds of times in our Bible. The Hebrew word that is translated nations refers to a large group of people that is based on, their grouping is based on some cultural and physical and geographical ties. In the, in the Old Testament, the, the reference to nations often referred to clans of people. There were families, really, that had something in common, some identity that they shared with one another. If you uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 10, this is the first mention of the word nation or nations in the Bible. Genesis chapter 10, and, and in verse number 5, and uh, if you're familiar with this, this is right after the flood has taken place and the world is now uh, being repopulated. And in verse number 5, it says, By these, um, in reference to the sons of Noah and the divisions that would be made, by these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families, in their nations." So when the Bible speaks about nations, it speaks about a way to designate differences between different groups of people. And we recognize that different nations are different. I've had the opportunity and the privilege to travel all over the world. And I'll tell you this, people in different places do things different. It's, in, it's incredible how different it is. And, and at first, when you go there, it's an adventure, and it's exciting, and it's fun to see how they do things different. For most people who go to stay, missionaries that we support, after about six months, they start to notice that things are different, and they're not going to get any more similar. And all of a sudden, something happens called culture shock. And they start to, and it is, it's a struggle. There's a, there's a psychological aspect, a mental aspect. There's a spiritual aspect. There's an emotional aspect. There's even a physical aspect to culture shock where they're, they're going through the adjustments to, I just moved to a place that is very different and these people are not going to change because I'm here. And so they've got to adjust to the way things are. Um, so when we think about nations, it's really speaking about the, the differences that exist between different groups of people. The Greek word that is translated nation or nations in our New Testament is, uh, is the word ethnos. And you might recognize that because we have some words like ethnology and ethnicity and so on in our English language, which are transliterated from that Greek word. And, and that word refers to a multitude of people that are associated together somehow, or they live together in close proximity it's a multitude of individuals who have some similarities of nature. Um, it is a tribe or a people group. So Paul often uses the term for Gentile Christians. And you know that in the New Testament, one of the, one of the key issues that was being discussed was when Gentiles get saved, do they have to become Jews? Do they have to follow the Jewish culture? Do they have to, for instance, become circumcised? 
Do they have to follow the feasts? Do they have to uh, worship in the temple? Do they need to do all the things that Jewish people are supposed to do? And you know that Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the book of Galatians, and he also speaks about it in the book of Colossians, and I believe he wrote the book of Hebrews, and he addresses these things, these issues that basically God recognizes there are cultural differences, and some of those cultural differences are okay. Some of those things, it's not like, and we can be thankful for this as Gentiles, right? We don't have to become Jewish believers. We don't have to embrace all the aspects of Jewish culture in order to be followers of Christ. That's not required of us because there are some differences. So Paul speaks about this this difference that exists between people. In the New Testament, we find the nation spoken of frequently. Today, when we speak about nations, generally, you know, when we use the word nation, we're referring to the geographical boundary. Like we speak about the nation of Mexico or the nation of Canada or the nation of, uh, of Finland or the nation of South Africa or, or whatever. And what we mean is, you know, there's a, there's an, a place, there's, a, there's some geographical boundaries. But a, a phrase that we use that is more closely related to the biblical sense of the word nations is the, is the term people groups. Because what we're going to find, and we're going we're to talk about this tonight, is that the idea of just classifying nations by geographical boundaries really doesn't work anymore. Because the nations have scattered. And, and this is a very interesting, it's, it's actually something that is relatively new in, in our world, and, and it is being, um, it's being proliferated, it's being accelerated by what we call the internet and the exchange of information that goes between groups of people. So when we speak of people groups, uh, we tend to think about a group of people who have a common identity. Because they have some things in common. They have some similarity. Usually that similarity uh, circles around two things, their culture and their language. Culture is an interesting study. I'm not here to teach a, a class on anthropology tonight, but it's very interesting to study biblically uh, anthropology. When I was, when I, was in, uh, I went to college for a little while at a, at a secular college and I took sociology, and so we studied some anthropology from a worldly viewpoint, and that was very interesting. But, you know, there's a biblical aspect of anthropology and, and, and of sociology, and you start to look at cultures and, and, and think about what it is that makes up a culture. It's very, uh, a very interesting study. But, you know, what we find today is that people groups are not necessarily located all in one country anymore. But oftentimes, those people groups are scattered all over the world because of the modern ability to travel. What we do find, however, is that though they are scattered, they will almost always be clustered together in the places where they scatter. So let me give you an example. We have recently found at in our area... Um, the Lehigh Valley is, a, is an area that encompasses about from, let's say if you were to draw a radius around our church building, where, a place where you could drive within 30 minutes anywhere from our building. So that, that, there's about 900,000 people that live in that radius. It's a large, largely populated area. And of course, we knock on doors and we talk to folks. We've recently found that there are some centers of population in our area which are mostly African. And here recently we have had people, and we were discussing this the other day, we have uh, a fella in our church who's a member of our church. He's from Burkina Faso, that's Western Africa. We have a couple that is from Togo, that is uh, right next to Ghana, that's also Western Africa. Uh, We have some folks who are attending from Kenya, that's Eastern Africa. We have some folks from Nigeria and some folks from Liberia who have recently been coming. And then we just had another family, and I'm trying to remember the name of the country that, that they are from. It's more Central Africa, 
and they just have been coming the last couple of weeks and started a Bible study. And what we stumbled onto is that there in Allentown, which is one of the larger towns near us, there is a center of population that is almost exclusively African. When you knock on the doors, the people who answer the door are going to be from different African countries. They have their own markets where they shop. They have their neighborhoods where they live. They have some similarities of culture, and that pulls them together. Now, uh, even closer together, you know, those ones who are from the same country and have uh, subsets of culture that are even more closely tied, they tend to stay together, and, and oftentimes they're in family groups. We have other places uh, in, our, in the Lehigh Valley where there are people from, for instance, the country of India, and they tend to live in the same neighborhood. We have other, still other areas where there are people who are from a Hispanic background. We have still other areas where there are people from the Muslim world and what we would call the Middle East, and they live together in different areas. And it's incredible how even though they are scattered and they're far away from the countries where they came from, they tend to find each other, and they live together in the same places. This happens when Americans travel abroad and live abroad, what we call expatriates. They tend to, people who are from Western nations tend to, when they move to other countries, live in the same communities. They live close to each other. They tend to shop in the same stores. Why is that? Because they share some aspects of culture. You say, wait a second, this has nothing to do with the Bible. Why are you going on about this? I'm going to apply this in a little while because it's actually very interesting how we can use these things that we learn about culture and the nations to be able to reach out to them. But our topic tonight is this. We want to see God's passion for the nations. God has a heart that yearns for the people of the world. You know that in the Old Testament, God's focus was on the Jewish people, on the Hebrew nation. But that doesn't mean that God uh, was not interested in all the other nations. Because God's purpose was actually for the nation of Israel to be a light to the Gentiles. Then we know in the, in the New Testament that the gospel was largely rejected by the Hebrew people. And so we find that the gospel then goes forth to the Gentiles. We can be thankful for that. And now all of a sudden the gospel is beginning to impact many different cultures. If we were to study church history, uh, the, the history of our forefathers and go back through, we would find that we had forefathers in northern Africa and we had we had forefathers, of course, in the, in the area of Palestine. We had, we had forefathers who were in what we know today as Asia. We had forefathers in the European continent. We had forefathers who eventually came to our shores and brought the gospel. And, and we're so thankful for that. But see, that shows us something when we study history about God's passion for the nations. Now, an example of the nations, which I've already brought out a little bit, but I want to emphasize again is... You know, we have one country here, the United States of America, and, and the United States of America is unique because it is a multicultural country. And it has been since the beginning, actually. If you think much about that, uh, we were at a museum in our local area, which is about the cultural heritage of the Lehigh Valley. And they had a display in one of the rooms which was about this subject that the city of Allentown has always been a multicultural city. And they highlighted, for instance, foreign language newspapers going back 100 or 150 years and all of these different languages and these different groups that had come to Allentown and how they had migrated together and how they had their neighborhoods and their places that they shopped and their, and their language that they spoke. And now, of course, we see those groups... And, and their descendants, and we call them Americans, right? Because they speak English and they've integrated into the society and now there's some other groups. So our country is, is one country, but there are many different people groups. One of the largest minority people groups in the United States is a people group that we call Hispanics. They share a common language, the Spanish language, and they share some elements or some aspects of culture. But... It won't take you long being around Hispanics, and I've uh, been in Latin America many times. I, I, speak, uh, I speak Spanish semi-fluently. I lived in Mexico City for a while and went to language school. It won't take you long being around people who have a Hispanic background to find out 
that there are major differences between, for instance, Mexicans and Puerto Ricans. There are major differences between, uh, between a Mexican and an, a person from Argentina. Uh, even the language that they speak, even though it is basically the same, there will be differences of accent, differences of inflection, differences of common terms that they use, and they really don't like when you say, oh, you're a Mexican, and they're not a Mexican. All right? It, it's actually extremely offensive. It's like calling somebody from who's, who's born, bred, raised for generations in North or South Carolina, calling them a Yankee, and you're going to have a problem. Now, brace yourself, because if you travel much and you go to other places in the world, you're probably going to get called a Yankee, because that's how they identify people who are from the United States. But you see what I'm saying is there, there are differences of culture. All right, I think I've established that. Now, let's talk about God's passion for the nations, and then let's come to some conclusions. Several thoughts I want to share with you, several truths. First of all, God is the one who created the nations. God is the one who made people different and distinct from one another. We're in Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 11. We might ask the question, why did God create the nations? Well, Genesis chapter 11, we're told why God did that. In verse number 6, the scene is the Tower of Babel. Man is unified around a common language and a common goal. The common goal that they have is a goal of idolatry. They want to build a center of worship which is not built to the honor of God. So they are rebellious against God and their purpose. And in verse number 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people is one. And they have all one language, and this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth." God is the one who is responsible for creating the divisions, which we now recognize as separate nations, and those divisions are primarily around language. And then as language brought different groups of people together, there are other aspects which we might identify as culture, which have to do with those people which they share in common. And frankly, there are some things that people do from other people groups that you are going to think, that's weird. That's really unusual. I, did, I would never do that. And there are some things that you do that people from other people groups would say, that's really strange. I don't understand why they act that way. That's really unusual. But see, what I want you to understand is that God is the one who created the nations. Now, we might look at it today and say, well, why did God do that? Well, ultimately, God did that because of the sinful heart of man. Because man was unified in sinful pursuit and God had to break them apart into differing groups. Now, another thing that you're going to find out is that sadly, because of the sinful heart of man, though God created the divisions between the nations, man has fanned the flames of hatred between those divisions. And, and I know in our country right now, there's a lot of talk about racism and black and white. But I want you to understand that that is not the only problem in our world. And it is a problem. There, there are people who hate each other based on the, on the color of their skin. But I'll tell you, I've been to Africa in places where both groups of people have black skin, but they hate each other because they're from different tribes. They hate each other because they're from different regions. They, they hate each other, and it's interesting to listen to them talk about one another. Well, those people, they're lazy. Those people are coming here to take all of our jobs. Those people, they don't really know how to, how to be civilized. And, and I'm, I think I'm listening to the political debate here in our country, but it's in another country and two people groups that are talking about each other. So God created the divisions, but man introduces hatred. By the way, 
in case you're wondering, it's not God's will for us to ever have hatred or animosity towards another people group just because they're different from us. That ought not to be the way that it is among the people of God. We ought to embrace people who, who have maybe some different ways. Now, not embrace their sinful behavior, but celebrate the fact that we are different. God didn't make us all the same. We can be very grateful for that, actually. We can be thankful that God made us different from one another. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 17. One thing that I like to remind people, and there's a lot of discussion in our, in our world today about the racial reconciliation and the divide between people of different races. Well, the first answer to that is there are not multiple races. There's one race, the human race. Acts chapter 17, verse number 26, says this, And hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord. If haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. Now think about that, what it's saying in verse 26 of Acts 17. God made all of us to have something in common, and that is our blood. The color of our skin may be different. The, the way that our hair looks might be different. The, 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 the stature might be different. There might be other things that are different, but we all share the same blood. We all come from Adam. We all go back to Noah. We, we are human beings. And so, you know, we're fond of saying this when we're in Africa, you're my brother from a different mother. And they like to say that too. And we, we joke around with the believers there. You know, we look different, but we, we have the same blood that goes through our body. We have the same problem. It's a sin problem. We, we have a common Savior. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things are the same. And so, uh, though there may be differences between people groups, we understand that it is God who created the nations. And, and I believe that God cares deeply for the nations, which I want to prove to you. And second of all, God longs for the nations to hear of His love and His majesty. Now, I, I want you to know that I have a lot of verses that we could look at, but I'm going to limit it to just one or two for each of these thoughts. So turn to Psalm 67. Psalm 67, God desires for all the nations. It was expressed there in Acts 17, if you were paying close attention as we were reading that. Basically, Paul was saying, God is not far from any of us. He can be found if people will seek Him. You start to listen to the to the stories that different cultures tell. And it's interesting how the threads of the biblical account of creation and Noah's flood and, and need for redemption just, just are woven through the different stories. Now, oftentimes they'll be twisted and all messed up and, and they'll be worshiping some false gods. But somewhere in there you see, wow, there are some seeds of truth in these different cultures. But here's the thought now. God longs for the nations to hear of His love and His majesty. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2 says, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause His face to shine upon us, Selah, that Thy way may be known upon earth, Thy saving health among all nations. The psalmist is crying out by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that all the nations would know the way of God, that they would know that God offers salvation. You see, this is, the, this is the heart cry of God, that the nations would know who He is. But you understand tonight that in many nations, people are deceived about the identity of God. They don't know who He is. They don't know the eternal life that He offers. They don't know the potential for them to be right with God. They're bound in darkness. They're bound in false worship. That is not God's will. God wants them to know of His love and His majesty. He wants them to know that He is the only true God. Now, I'll be honest with you. If you walk up to the average person from a different culture 
Let's say the other day I was talking to a man from India when we were out on visitation. I knocked on his door. My daughter was with me, and we talked to him for a few moments. And, and you talk about a guy who was confused about stuff. And, and he had heard a little bit about Jesus, and here's what he wanted to do. I'll just add Jesus to all the other gods I worship. Okay, hold on a second. That's not how it works. That's not the kind of God that Jesus is. He's above all the other gods. And, and, you know, we talked for a little while, and he had a little bit of curiosity, and we left him with some things to read. But at the end of the day, you know what? He was confused because he didn't know who God is. But, but God wants people like that to hear of his love and his majesty. A third truth, which we find in the Scripture, is this. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule over all the nations. All the nations. Look in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, which speaks about the rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day he's going to rule over all these different nations. Now this is fascinating to me. This is speaking about this woman who's going to bring forth a man child, who's to rule all nations, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And I, I don't have time to get into all this, but I believe that this child is speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to rule over the nations. We know that the Lord is going to rule over all the nations. But you know what happens is in the millennial kingdom, they're still nations. They're still distinct from one another. They're still different. In other words, God doesn't just come in and wipe away all the differences between them but now they have something in common. That is that the Lord is going to rule over them. The Lord is going to exert authority over them. Would you go to Isaiah chapter 49? Isaiah chapter 49. I'm trying to be mindful of the time because I could talk longer than I should about this. Isaiah chapter 49. Here's a fourth thought. Did you know that the Lord Jesus Christ died for all the nations? Isaiah chapter 49 and verse number 6, he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the ends of the earth. The people who live in the farthest away reaches, the farthest away corners of the earth, God's desire is towards them. He wants them to also be saved. It was said about the Lord Jesus Christ when he was brought by Mary and Joseph into the temple for his dedication. And Simon, that old man, saw him and he took the Lord Jesus in his arms. And here's what he said about him, about Jesus that he is a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Listen, Christ died for all the nations. Jesus Christ did not just die for the nation of Israel. Praise the Lord, because that would cut us out. But you know, we have some weird stuff that's going on today where there's some guys who call, even call themselves Baptists, independent Baptists, and they're teaching some kind of weird doctrine that the United States of America is like the replacement for the nation of Israel. And, and so, you know, all these other nations are not necessarily included in the deal. Man, they're messed up. They don't understand that God's heart is towards the nations. And when Jesus died, he died for the nations. His desire is for the nations. This really culminates in Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. Look with me at verse 9. And here's the fifth truth. One day, some from every nation will worship around the throne. Now, that, that's a powerful truth. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, 
of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. This is exciting to me. Because one day, we are going to be gathered around that throne, and with us, there are going to be believers, other worshipers of the Lamb who sits on the throne, and there's going to be worshipers of God from all the nations who are going to be there, represented. And I think we're going to be able to see the differences between the nations, because that seems to be the emphasis, actually, is, to, to use a politically correct term, the diversity in heaven. It's going to be like people of all sorts, people from all different walks of life, people from all different places, people who spoke all different languages. But you note that in verse 9 and 10, around the throne, there is no difference. We'll all be wearing the same clothing. We'll all be clothed in white robes, which is representative of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We'll all have palms in our hands, and we'll all be crying with a loud voice, one thing, one common theme, worship to the Lamb who sits upon the throne. Now this is incredible because one day all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the hatred between different people groups is going to be resolved in the presence of the Lord as these from different backgrounds gather there and we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. You see, this is God's purpose, is to gather a group of worshipers around the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ from every nation. Now, as we think about God's passion for the nations, there's a couple things that I want to talk about just practically. And primarily, I want to address it in this way. What should be our response to the passion of God for the nations? You know what I've found is that when you're around someone who is passionate about something, you tend to pick up on their excitement. I don't know why that is. Now, maybe you're turned off by their excitement and you just go somewhere else. But if you choose to stick around them, it doesn't take long till their excitement, I mean, you just, you just can't help it. They're excited, and you're excited. And here's what I want you to understand is, you cannot spend much time with the Lord without understanding that God wants you to be as excited about the nations as He is. He passionately cares for the nations, and I believe this with all my heart, people who are walking with God should have the same yearning that God has for the nations. Now, when we think about our response to the passion of God, it's closely related to our walk with God and our obedience to Him. And I, I want to look at two more verses, or two more sets of verses. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, this is... There's five places where the Great Commission was given to that first New Testament church. This is one of them. Luke chapter 24. And verse number 47. This is Jesus speaking. And he is opening the eyes of some of the disciples... And he says to them in verse number 47, and that repentance, by the way, that's still a scriptural doctrine, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, notice the next phrase, among all nations, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Now, pause for a moment. 
and think about who Jesus is saying this to. He's speaking to men who, up until the time that Jesus began introducing them to the world vision that he had, they had never really thought much about the outside world. We have some folks in our church that literally, in their life, they have never been anywhere except a few times they drove to where their daughters went to college to take them and to pick them up. They have never been anywhere. They never went on vacation. They never went to any other states. They never traveled to any other countries. They never even went to other parts of the state. They were just always at the place where they worked and in their home and their neighborhood and where they grew up and the people that they knew. That's just how they were. And if you think long about it, you probably know some other folks like that. That's kind of how the disciples were. They didn't have, you know, most of the disciples were from Galilee. That was like the back country. They, they weren't men of the world. They weren't well-traveled men. They weren't really highly educated. It wasn't like they had traveled to the center of education and gotten a degree. Nothing like that. They, they weren't even that familiar. The only exposure that they really had before they met Christ to other cultures was whatever other cultures might come their way and that they interacted with, like Roman soldiers, etc., etc. Of course, Jesus, and I wish we had time to establish this and to prove this, I'm going to make this statement. We can prove it from Scripture. One of the main emphases that Jesus had during his earthly ministry was to expose his disciples to people from different cultures. And it was very uncomfortable for them. And now Jesus is going to ascend back to heaven shortly, and he says to his disciples that his plan is that the gospel would be preached to all nations. You cannot imagine how mind-blowing this must have been for the disciples that Jesus is saying to them, you're not going to just stay here. You're going to go all over the world and proclaim the gospel. That's incredible. What? You want us to do what? But see, that is God's plan. You say, what should be our response to the passion of God for the nations? We should understand that as a New Testament church, God has called us to preach the gospel to all nations. All nations. It is not His will for us merely to look out for people who look like us, think like us, act like us, and be satisfied with spending our time with them and sharing the gospel with them. He has called us to preach the gospel to all nations. This is uncomfortable. This is way outside what we find to be uh, our easy way of living. Because what he's asking us to do is to put aside our selfishness. There is nothing easy about being a cross-cultural preacher, by that I mean a declarer of the gospel. Because you are going to have to understand how that person thinks. And you are going to have to make sure that when you are communicating to them, you are telling them something that makes sense. You understand what I'm saying? Some years ago, a team was sent from a large church in the United States to the streets of Bangkok, Thailand. I happened to have a couple friends who were missionaries there, and they were present at that time, and they were asked to participate in the campaign. They chose not to after they heard the goals of the campaign, because the goals of the campaign included leading thousands of people to the Lord on the streets of Bangkok, Thailand. Now, bear in mind, the people who were coming on that team did not speak the Thai language. They were coming merely with tracks in the Thai language, and they were going to go out on the streets and they were going to get people to pray the sinner's prayer and to lead them to the Lord using literature in a language that they themselves did not speak. Day after day, those workers came back giving reports of the hundreds of people who had gotten saved. The missionaries, who are my friends who were there, said it was an absolute joke. Because what that team did not understand, what they did not comprehend, is that in Asian culture, if you walk up to anyone and ask them to do anything, they will do it simply to save face. Whether they agree with you or not, 
They don't want you to be embarrassed, so they will go along with whatever you say until you go away, and then they'll go back to whatever they wanted to do. That is a part of Asian culture. And so these people were evidently able to get people to nod their head yes enough to mark another one down and say, yippee, I got another one. They weren't getting anything. They weren't even communicating the gospel. You see, the average person in Thailand who comes to Christ out of a Buddhist background, it is going to take years of undoing their misunderstanding about their worldview and presenting them the truth of the gospel in a way that they can comprehend. It takes time. I'm not saying that people couldn't get saved more quickly than that. I'm just saying the average person, that's not how it works. But see, what's happening, and I, I don't doubt the zeal of the people who went. I think they really wanted people to get saved. I think they were misguided in their understanding about salvation and how to present that. I don't doubt any of that. But I think they have a, a lot of them have a heart, a yearning to see people get saved. But what they didn't think about was, how do I make the gospel make sense to the people that I'm talking to? You know, there's a lot of tracts that we use here in the United States of America. You could not use them in Thailand because they make zero sense. They start at a place where a Buddhist mind is not even on the same page. You tell the Buddhist person, you're a sinner, they'll say, of course I am. I need to go to the temple and do merit. I need to make some merit. I need to go and deny myself. You see, they have a different way of thinking. Uh, You tell them, you need to worship God. And they say, of course, I I need to worship God. But they're thinking about a different idea of God. I mean, you got to go all the way back to the beginning. And you got to start with who is God and what is God like and what did God do in creating the world and how is this different from what you have understood. And you've got to build a foundation. Are you following what I'm saying? You see, if we're going to preach the gospel to all nations we're going to have to understand some things about the people that we are communicating to. We can't just approach them like we might approach somebody who is white, middle-class American who probably has at least enough of a religious background that we could walk up to them and start talking to them about the Ten Commandments and about the gospel, and they have at least some base level of understanding. Now, I will tell you that is rapidly changing in our country, too. So we, we know the response to the passion of God for the nations ought to be this, that we must preach the gospel to all nations. But we're going to have to think about how to do that. Romans chapter 10, turn over there. Romans chapter 10. Very familiar set of verses, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we may come back to this later in the week. But I want to touch on it briefly. In verse 14, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But... They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Esaias saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we need to to apply the word of God. No doubt about that. We need to make sure that people hear the truth so that they can believe the truth because they can't believe something that they've never heard. But how are people going to hear unless somebody is sent to tell them. Now, the, the, uh, the typical application of this, and I believe it's an appropriate application, is, you know, look at the world map and realize there's a lot of places on the face of the earth where there are people who do not know what the gospel is. They have no chance to hear the gospel, and we need to send, and this is a missions conference, we need to send, we need to thrust out laborers into the field, send them to proclaim the gospel in those places so those people can hear the gospel and respond to it. But here's something that I want to say to you, and that is true. What what I just said, that is true. We need to do that. We need to be busy about that. However, something that has really challenged me is this. What about this thought that God is literally 
bringing the nations to us. But my question for you is, who is taking the gospel to the nations that are all around us? Now, bear with me for a moment. If we go into the average independent fundamental Baptist church that preaches a true gospel, almost exclusively what we're going to find is people that look like us. What does that tell us? Are we really being effective reaching the nations that are around us? I don't think so. Now, we expect our missionaries who we are sending to the foreign field, and rightfully so, we expect them to be busy about the work, and we trust that God is going to give them a harvest of souls and people are going to be saved. But what about the people who are right here living right next to us? You know, just across town. A lot of times we don't even have to go very far. So here are some practical thoughts that I believe should be our response to the passion of God for the nations. First of all, I believe you and I need to open our eyes to the nations. Open our eyes to the nations. All political rhetoric aside, and I do understand the debate that is currently going on in our country about immigration. And I have some very definite political opinions about it. But I know this, that God hasn't called me to be a politician. What God has called me to do is to preach, to proclaim. So whatever you may think about different nations being here, they are here. God has allowed them to be here and perhaps... For such a time as this, right now, in this place, in this time of human history, we should open our eyes to the people who are all around us. Here's a fact. Displaced peoples are often more open to the gospel than other people who are very comfortable in their existence. Why is that? Because their life is in an upheaval. They they have lost all of their things, the relationships that bring stability in their life. So to say it more clearly, when people first come to our country, there is a vulnerability. There is an openness to the gospel. Sadly, what many of those people get when they come here is rudeness. What they get is people who are not interested in them, people who wish they would go away. And they tend to identify that attitude with Christianity because, after all, we are supposed to be a Christian nation. Now, whether rightly or not, that does happen. But I want you to think about this. What if we, as God's people, really opened our eyes to the nations? What if Lighthouse Baptist Church, you started to look around your community and think about, Where are the people who don't look and act exactly like we do? Where are the people who are different than us? Where do they live? Where do they shop? Where do they eat? By the way, shopping and eating will often lead you to cultural zones where people tend to congregate together. It's a very interesting thing. You want to find out what cultural groups are around, go to some of the Uh, ethnic restaurants and start to pay attention and start to watch. So we need to really open our eyes to the nations. You know, when I started opening my eyes to the nations, I started to realize that in the Lehigh Valley where we live, there are people literally from every nation of the world. They're all around us. We go into Walmart, there's people speaking all kinds of different languages. There's people from Eastern Europe, there's people from Africa, there's people from Latin America, there's people from the Middle East, there's people from India, there's people from Asia, they're all around us. We go out on visitation and we knock on people's doors and we encounter people who don't even speak English and they come to the door and they just look at you like, and you're trying to figure out who are you and what language do you speak and and is there anything that I can give to them? May God open our eyes to the nations. I have a dear friend who has been laboring in the country of Thailand for 
a number of years. And of course, he went there believing that God wanted him to reach tithes. And he has been engaged in that endeavor for his entire ministry there. But in the midst of that, he and another missionary stumbled upon a group of displaced people. They, they were refugees who literally set up a camp along the side of a road in the middle of nowhere, and there were several thousand of them there. They were, they were fleeing from persecution because of their ethnic background in the country where they were from, and they just kind of set up a place with tarps, and, and it was on the newspaper, and these two guys saw it, and they went there. And they said, how can we help? What can we do? And they ended up offering a little bit of food relief, and then they started offering to teach the Bible. And these people said, sure, come teach the Bible. Well, the result of all that, and I wish I could tell the whole story. It's an incredible story. The result of all that was a bunch of people got saved, and a church was birthed and established within that refugee camp. And I'm talking about a large church. Several hundred people got saved, followed in baptism. A church was organized, intensive teaching and training of the, of the leadership. Then, just like that, they were all taken away. The government came in and said, you're all going back to your country. And they took all those refugees and they pushed them back into their country, they, were no long, they no longer really had access to them. Now all these people are scattered through their, their country where they were from, which is a creative access country. I'm not even going to say it because I know you all post your, your messages online. If you, I'll tell you later where it is. And now all these believers who are tied to this church are back in this creative access country. Today, there are multiple churches which have been started in that country as a result of a couple of missionaries seeing there's some displaced people. They might be open to the truth. They're not the people that we came here to reach originally, but they might be open, and they went, and God did something great with that, and God is still doing something great with that. Isn't that incredible? What we need is for God to open our eyes to those kind of opportunities. You see, those kind of people are here. They're around us. If we can pay attention, they're here. They don't look like us. They don't think like us, but they are here, and we have an opportunity to reach out to them. A second thing that I think should be our response to the passion of God for the nations is we should pray for the nations. We should cry out to God to help us to reach the nations. We should ask God to move our heart for these people and to help us not only to see them, but to be effective in reaching them. Listen, brethren, God is not, I don't believe God is content with us saying, well, we send some missionaries and we support some missionaries. That's good enough. I think that God is going to hold us accountable for the nations who are around us that we need to reach. One people group that God has moved my heart greatly for in the last couple of months are people who worship the God Allah. And they're from different regions of the world. And God has moved my heart for them, the people in our area who call themselves Muslims. And I am so burdened for them. And do you know what I found out? There's really very few people who are reaching out to them. The average Christian that I talk to is scared to death of them. They're scared to death to talk to them. They're afraid that if they talk to them, they might like become a terrorist and come chase them down in their house and hurt them or something. And so if they find out somebody's a Muslim, they're like, whoa, I'm out of here, man. I'm not talking to you. Who's going to share the gospel with them? I, I, have, I have a friend, we support him, who is in the Middle East, and he is reaching people who, who are Muslims. And, and I've talked with him about this, and he said, I believe one of the most open people groups in the world are dissatisfied Muslims. There's a lot of Muslims who don't know why they believe what they say they believe. They, they aren't getting answers to their questions. They're dissatisfied with their religion, and God is working in many of their hearts. But are we too afraid to go, well, let's, let's start with, are we too afraid to pray? I mean, what would happen in, in our average church if a group of 30 Muslims started coming to services? I mean, you'd have a whole lot of men in the church really nervous. They'd be thinking, how are we going to defend the building? How are we going to take care of this? And I, I understand. 
But at what point are we going to say, God has put us here to reach the nations, and those people are part of the nations. We, we need to pray for the nations. Third of all, last conclusion I want to deal with, we should be bold in reaching out and seeking out the nations. Not only should we be opening our eyes and praying for the nations, I'm telling you, if you start opening your eyes and you start praying for the nations, you're going to find that they are all around them, around you. You are rubbing shoulders with them every day, and you've just not noticed. You, you've not noticed that there's people all around you who, who have an accent. They, they obviously grew up speaking a different language. Uh, they come from somewhere different. They have some different customs, and we have to be bold in reaching out to them. We have to get outside of ourselves and say, God has put me here for such a time as this. It is, for me, a joy when I stumble onto someone who is not from around our area. And usually, you have to be careful how you ask them, right? Because... They, they usually think you're asking a loaded question. Where are you from? Allentown. I know, Allentown. But where, where were you from before that? New York. Okay, I know, but I detect an accent. Are you, did, have you always lived in New York? Well, Western Africa. And, and you say, why are they so reluctant? Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why they're so reluctant. They hear the political rhetoric. They hear how people feel and think about them. They don't want to be saying, I'm from somewhere else, if they feel like that might make you not like them anymore. Now, for me, what usually disarms people like that, especially from Africa, is, oh, my parents live in Africa. I have a brother and sister-in-law who live in South Africa, and, and they've lived there for quite a while. Really? Oh, now, now we have something we can talk about. Isn't that interesting? But, you know, we have to be bold enough to see, okay, that person is not from around here. That person is from a different place. How can I reach out to them? Now, what you're going to find is you're going to run into some weird stuff. We have, a, we have a couple of guys in our church right now who are doing a Bible study with a guy who's a Sikh. And they're from India. It's a branch off of the Hindu religion, and they have some very unusual beliefs. And I was talking with one of those men the other night, and he said, you know, we've gone, we went through the first Bible study, and honestly, Pastor, I think we might need to shift gears a little bit because I don't think this guy was ready for the first Bible study because he has a different worldview. So we talked about a different approach. You know, where maybe you should back up and start with some key concepts like who is God? What does the Bible say? And this guy has a curiosity about the Bible. He's heard about the Bible. He, wa he wants to study the Bible. He wants to learn about the Bible. Okay, let's back up and let's deal with some things. But you know what that takes? That takes a couple guys who are courageous enough to go deal with somebody who's going to believe something that they've never heard before. It's going to be strange. They're not going to even know what to say. They're going to go like, I don't have any answer for that. I need to, I need to research that. I've, I've never heard something like that before. But see, we have to be bold in reaching out. We ask our missionaries to be bold, don't we? We ask them to be so bold that they will move to another country and live in a different culture with their family and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel in those places. And I'm telling you, if we're asking that of our missionaries, we ought to be the same way. I have a heart. I have a, I have a desire. You know what? I, I really long for this. That one day in the future... You could walk into Lehigh Valley Baptist Church, into one of our worship services, and you could look around, and you could see people from all over the world. People from all different backgrounds, different colors of skin, different cultures and ways of life, and, and I'm happy to say that we have some of that already. Praise the Lord. But I, have, I, I want it to be a lot more distinct. I want it to be so that when people come in, they could find people that they identify with who are worshipers of God and have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who could say to them, I, I used to worship the same way that you did, but God got my attention. Listen to my testimony. Listen to what God did in my life. That's my desire. But you know, if that's going to happen, we're going to have to be bold in reaching out and seeking out the nations. Our God has a heart for the nations, and I believe God wants us 
to have a passion, a heart for the nations. And here is my request of you, Lighthouse Baptist Church. Would you ask God to help you to see this the way that He does? Would you ask God to show you the people around you who might be open to the gospel? They might be different than you, but they might be open to the gospel. People in whom God is working even right now. And would you ask God to give you the courage to reach out to them with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? Because I believe if God has that kind of a heart for the nations, I ought to have that kind of a heart for the nations as well. Let's close in prayer and then, Pastor, you come. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the reminder of how you feel about the nations. Lord, I pray that you would give us a great desire to be used of you. I pray that you'd give us a great awareness of the people around us who need the Lord. I pray that you'd give us a great compassion for people who are as sheep having no shepherd, people who are lost without the Lord Jesus Christ, people that need to hear the message of salvation. Would you give us the awareness and the courage to do something about the nations that are all around us and proclaiming the gospel to them. Thank you for this time together, and we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, you come.